Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Italian Wine Podcast, as Wine to Wine 2020 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions chosen to highlight key themes and ideas and recorded during the two-day event held on November 23rd and 24th, 2020. Wine to Wine 2020 represented the first ever fully digital edition of the Business to Business Forum. Visit winetowine.net and make sure to attend future editions of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Hello, everybody. Thank you to Wine to Wine for this uh, very interesting event. Myself, I am also a producer of Rosé Wine, so I'm very much looking forward to hear what Elizabeth is going to, to say. We have uh, half an hour and uh, we will uh, also answer to um, your uh, question. Uh, Elizabeth uh, is very much, uh, uh, is an, a very important expert of wines, uh, um, southern France wines and Mediterranean wines. And of course, uh, she is very, uh, she likes very much rosé wine and uh, she is a very uh, important expert on rosé wine. So, Elizabeth, I give you the floor. Thank you. Thank you. Right. So um, this is going to be a really fast canter through what made Rosé successful. Um, what can we learn from Provence, um, a Rosé perspective? Um, and really the aim of today's talk is what we can learn from Provence in terms of marketing um, and how they have managed to become a market leader. So it's not always been the case of Provence um, making rosé in the style that we know now. Uh, these are old marketing postcards that you can see with these wonderful um, curvy traditional bottles, nice dark colour. Um, the dark colour largely because most rosé in Provence was made as a byproduct of red wine until um, the 1980s. Um, there was also rosé made uh, on its own, but a large amount was made as a direct byproduct of red wine. Um, Seigneur is not necessarily bad. Mathilde makes wonderful Seigneur rosé. So, but this is very much the style, dark, traditional, rustic style of rosé. So what made it change? Um, early 1990s. I don't know the exact dates for these forms of publicity. This is from my own collection. But you can see the poster, still the curvy bottle, still dark wine, um, and the three colours on this pin, the uh, publicity pin they gave, red, rosé and white. So even until the early 1990s, um, very much this uh, traditional style of promotion. And this is what made Rosé change enormously. From the late 1980s um, and really escalating in the 1990s, uh, direct press, 
Um, whole bunch direct press giving paler, fresher rosé. Very important when you have majority Grenache rosé, um, which is prone to oxidation and temperature control. Uh, it's very easy now to think that this is how all rosé has always been made forever and ever. But from the late 1980s, there was an absolute revolution in how rosé was made, creating this fresh style. We now think this is normal. Um, but I do remember in the early 90s, a sort of uns uncertainty as to whether this was how rosé should be, fresh and pale and modern. Um, it really was incredibly revolutionary. Um, so technical um, changes in the cellar in Provence ahead of everybody else made them uh, ahead of the game. Um, and an understanding, I think, um, what is quite important um, to think back to the 1990s, where traditional rosé was being made, and suddenly um, rosés that lasted slightly longer, remained fresh for slightly longer, had much more vibrant fruit, um, appealed to the market. But producers, apart from direct press, apart from temperature control, were still learning, how do you make good rosé? And the research centre, um, they've created an association in 1995 amongst producers to start learning what to do, which became the research centre in 1999. So really only 20 years of research has been going into rosé. And they started looking at which grape variety makes good rosé. Uh, Matilda and I were just talking before we started saying, everybody now thinks you can make a rosé. You just direct press, you can make a rosé. But not all grapes do make good rosé. Um, there are some rosés which really struggle um, to, to make good quality rosé. Um, Colour, as I say, Grenache oxidises quite easily. So, there was a lot of very coppery colour and an understanding as to how you could counter that, how you could make an attractive paler colour, how you could harvest earlier. If you're making your rosé as a byproduct of red wine, harvesting was often much later, the same time as red wine. And this understanding of if you can harvest earlier, you have freshness, you have acidity. And this was all quite innovative in the 1990s. There was quite a lot of buzz going on, discovering terroir, grapes, harvesting, what to do in the cellar. Um, and this was the start of really making Provence Rosé good. And it was very much a focus in red. Uh, in, in Provence for the rosé. And what was interesting is in 2000, um, if you start looking through old um, wine, journal, wine articles, they start saying Provence rosé is good quality for price. The quality suddenly starts moving into the equation. And that's quite important. Until then, rosé was still slightly dodgy um, on quality. And what happened next? So we've got this surge in quality, in innovation, in exciting winemaking coming through. And there are all the appellations in Provence. So you have Bandol, Cassis, Bellet, uh, Coteau d'Aix, Cote, uh, Les Beaux, uh, Coteau Vawa, which at this time was VDQS, Cote de Provence. Uh, 
potentially all big rivals. And they decided the three biggest appellations, Côte d'Ivoire, VDQS, Côte de Provence and Côte de Dex, decided to come together as one united marketing force, still to keep their identity as different appellations, but to market themselves as the wines of Provence. And I think as many appellations, smaller appellations realise, you can work on your own, but it is extremely expensive. Van de Provence then decided this united umbrella, they could do the same marketing campaign, they could share stands at exhibition centres, they could contact journalists altogether. There was this amazing uh, concept of uniting. Why not all the other appellations? Um, Bandol has been very keen to keep their, their taste, their local taste of Bandol Rosé, which they felt maybe wouldn't work well with the other appellations. Belay again, is completely different. And Le Beau doesn't has only recently had um, a bigger amount of rosé being made. So since 2002, there's been this marketing umbrella. And this is really part of what I want to talk about today is this united marketing front for Rosé of Provence. So they've united and their first marketing campaign, I have to say, trying to find out historic marketing is fascinating and that it doesn't exist. It really, it almost as though the, um, there is no archives on the internet of how to find historic marketing for the wine. Um, so it's quite a sort of struggle to follow the evolution. So there may be gaps. I hope there aren't. But um, this is one of the first poster campaign from the United Appellations of Provence, The Art of Rosé. I'm not really too sure what is in this collage. I think there's some sushi, a glass of rosé, seashells, red fruit, um, and I'm not sure what all the other elements are. But it, what it's trying to say is it's a creative wine. It's not just a standard rustic product. They were promoting creativity in their winemaking. And by the end of this campaign, um, starting to get references in the press to the confidence and the energy being shown by Provence Rosé producers. Uh, the other significant thing at this point, 2003, was the big heatwave year, which saw um, rosé sales escalating enormously, cold rosé in a heat, hot summer. But that wasn't part of the marketing campaign. That was a lucky chance that in 2003, just as they started this united marketing front, there was this hot summer. So they're now being regarded as quality for money, something interesting is coming out of here. And it's the beginning of the boom. So at this point, it's still um, small quantities, slowly growing, quality. But where's it going? Don't forget, at this point, we still didn't know the boom that was going to develop. So the following campaign was actually far more... Um, thought out. We've had the artistic creativity and they decided that let's move on from 
pure technical expertise um, from being creative. What will make Rosé be to be serious in the market? And one of the ideas is that if you can prove that Rosé is not just a product, if you can prove that Rosé is not just a new thing, um, that maybe is just a flash in the pan, a marketing novelty. If you can say that rosé is historic, it gives it credibility it, as the same as red and white wine. And so they launched this campaign, Rosé was born in Provence. Um, there were roadside panels saying 2,000 years of Provence. So it's now confirmation. It's a traditional wine. It's um, historic. And underneath, you can see the description of Rosé from Provence saying, showing that they now have the expertise as well to make this pale Rosé, if you look at the picture. And this photograph and, sorry, the next, oops, no, my mouse is going too excited, um, are showing a sense of place, lavender fields. Even though wine is not made from lavender, lavender fields became synonymous with rosés of Provence. And I know when we were discussing the book cover for my book on rosé, one of the suggestions from the publishers was, let's put a field of lavender on, which I did not agree with. But we've got the seaside, lavender, a bull pitch, always that cool glass of pale rosé. And olives, again, the sea, uh, tapenade, figs. So re reaffirming the tradition, the sense of place, the pale colour of rosé. And now we're getting quotes saying, you know what? Provence seems to be the specialist for rosé. So what was happening uh, in this um, marketing campaign was the big news as far as Provence was concerned was um, Chateau d'Esclan launched in 2006 uh, Garus, which was an oaked rosé, is an oaked rosé, at 80 euros a bottle. Uh, ripples of horror throughout um, everywhere 80 euros for a rosé. Most rosé didn't go above, still doesn't really go above much, 20 euros a bottle. So 80 euros a bottle. This was an extreme expression of confidence that the market would want rosé. Um, oaked rosé was also very new. And a year later, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolly um, started becoming involved with Miraval. So on top of this marketing campaign, people were recognising this and investing and showing confidence in rosé. So the pale colour. Um, pale colour became associated with quality. Inevitable because uh, rosé in Provence was increasing in quality and they were making the rosé quite pale and the market was liking it. So Gilles Masson, um, who's the director, current director, um, as part of his research paper into wine, created the Nuancier. 
um, with these different shades of colour and a number of rosé competitions, including the Mondial de Rosé, which was set up at this time, gives you a chart and you tick the numbers of the colour um, so that you can identify the colour of the rosé. And the research centre monitors this to see what the trends are with colour, the trends in tone. And personally, I mustn't go into personally. Anyway, so the, the um, increase in the amount of pale rosé being made is now over 50%. From being a quarter of production, it's now over 50% and growing. And this is something we will come on to later. But at the moment, these are the colours associated with Provence rosé. And if you can see from the middle picture, um, whereas I grew up with um, onion skin or um, pale pink, they wanted to increase the, the naming of the rosé colour to link with the fruit. So they're called mandarin, mango, melon, peach, pomelo and redcurrant to double increase the double increase that emphasise the fruitiness of the wine and the colour. So the next campaign, 2010 to 2013, um, we've had tradition, sense of place, um, quality, and now the emphasis in this campaign was very much the taste and the flavour of what the rosé was. 2007 was when um, the big burst of rosé producing around the world suddenly happened. Everyone around the world from 2007 onwards started to look at rosé. So now they're in a situation where they can concentrate on this is the character of Provence rosé, um, pale in colour, lumineuse, delicate aromas, um, goes with food from around the world. This is the emphasis. It's not a campaign, I think, that became very well known. Very few pictures exist of this um, marketing campaign. But again, it was a concentration, the roundness of fruit. Um, really, what is the flavour? And again, this is something that's going to be quite important later on. So, We've got, they've done this very consolidated marketing approach and they did market research. And the market research said that consumers liked rosé, not just Provence rosé, um, but any rosé, um, although at this time Provence rosé was still um, the most well-known. Why? Because it's different. It's young. It's festive. It's easy to appreciate. Um, easy to forget now that until rosé appeared, uh, most wine drinking was, you know, what vintage was the best. You had to know the terroir. You had to know the details of the producers. Rosé at this point did not need it. Easy to understand. Um, you didn't need any wine knowledge. You could share it with friends didn't have to decant it or anything, just straight out the fridge, liked by women apparently because it's pink. Um, at this point, it was still just for summer, but thinking about how they can get further on this. And this is how Cote de Provence interpreted this marketing research. Um, the wines of Provence had these answers. 
They were open-minded. They weren't closed. They weren't narrow-minded. The wines were versatile, especially when out of the fridge and fresh and fruity, can go with anything. None of this pretentious wine and food matching. Quality. The quality is still there. Very important. Uh, maintaining that quality of product as being fresh and vibrant and fruity. And freedom of marketing. Now, can you remember that very first picture that I showed of the rustic Provence with the curvy bottles? That continues in Provence. Um, freedom of marketing. Instagram started October 2010. Um, hard to believe a world without Instagram now. And all of a sudden, We've got pictures of people having fun by the pool, by the beach, um, sunshine. And in 2010, when this all started and people would say to me, but you live in the south of France, do you drink rosé? And I'd say, but I don't have a swimming pool. 2010, I still, 2011, I still thought of rosé as only being for people who sat by a swimming pool because I was very much swayed by this marketing image. This is what you have on holiday. Um, you're young. You have fun. Um, what What's not to like? Now, what's interesting is the picture on the right, pale pink rosé. Instagram image. This is These are pictures I took off Instagram. You have no idea where this rosé comes from. But the hashtags did include Provence and other regions, but it could be from anywhere. And in our minds, rosé by the beach is often um, Provence. Uh, these are images used by uh, Van de Provence uh, USA for this is the lifestyle image you could also have. Eating out with friends, a picnic, going to the market, a French picnic surrounded by lavender fields and baguette, and then an urban environment, which I think is New York. So, but all with these very delicate tones of pale pink, romantic, easy drinking. So who was drinking um, the rosé? So what's interesting here is the... Um, age groups, uh, the Dutch um, on the right are the oldest wine drinkers uh, who like rosé. The French are the youngest, um, but Belgium, Australia and um, Scandinavia are slightly older. But on the whole, the trend is the younger market in 2015 was still drinking rosé. So not perceived as an older market drink, it's this millennial idea. Um, this idea that rosé is just for women, interestingly enough, um, although these two for men and women look quite different, it is only in the Netherlands that there is a 5% difference between men and women liking rosé. And in many countries, the divide is much, much closer. So this idea that it is only for women is not really supported by the facts. And I think with... Uh, increasing variety of rosé. Men seem to prefer rosés that are a bit heavier and a bit more complex, but really it's not um, a striking difference between men and women.
Freedom of marketing. This is coming back to the old traditional bottles. So there is no um, uh, bottle from the Syndica for Provence producers. They can use whatever bottle they like. They can market it in any style any labelling. Uh, very few are dark bottles. Closibon, um, here it looks like a pale yellow, but it's actually quite a dark green bottle shape. Um, this Cotodex bottle with the blue across the top. Um, one reason that that's quite interesting is that if you have rosé in an ice bucket, um, the top of the bottle will not be affected by light strike. So that's sort of quite an interesting way of having clear glass for um, the to see the colour, but protected from the light. Um, the squatter bottle of Miraval is appearing more and more for premium rosé shapes. Um, above it, the Marie Christine and uh, the San Rosaline with the triangular shape are very old bottle shapes. So any bottle shape can go. And one reason for that is also marketing. The idea was that if all the wines are pale pink, if you see a bottle of wine on a restaurant table, on somebody else's table, you might be able to identify the wine by the bottle shape, if not by the colour. That was some of the theory. The other theory is that it's part of this festive, fun, decorating the table. So bottle shape has been very much part of their marketing image. So the next marketing campaign, 2013 to 2016, we've moved on from taste, tradition, expertise. This is now lifestyle. And this advertising campaign actually won an award for the best wine marketing campaign in 2015. But we have it in the garden, a very elegant garden. We have it a very urban picture in the middle and we have it by the sea. Um, Interestingly enough, for French advertising, you cannot include people in the picture. Um, so these are very much the French posters um, that they would have had. But we're now looking at lifestyle. Lifestyle is what is building up on this emphasis that we've had in the previous marketing campaigns. And the current campaign, which I think will probably come to an end this year. These are the posters not used in France because they have people, but taste of style, le, um, the goût de style. So we have picnics by the beach, we have by with friends in the garden, we have a romantic dinner. So building up on the previous um, poster campaign, the idea of the picture was very much this old-fashioned, romantic, old travel posters from the 1930s. Um, again, lifestyle. The lifestyle was very important. They've already established quality and expertise, tradition and sense of place. Now it's this clear focus on lifestyle. But um, the marketing that we've looked at so far has concentrated on the classic pale pink fresh rosé. And the idea is behind niche rosé is that if you're in a restaurant and you've had your pale pink rosé for your aperitif, what you want people to do is then say, I will go on to a more complex rosé um, that will um, go throughout the meal. 
So there was the denomination of terroir, which was introduced, all the different regions. Um, there's been a lot of criticism by producers. This is too complicated to sell. Um, you then have to start explaining terroir, but it is liked by sommeliers. I'm rushing now because I've been told I have five minutes. Um, so but denomination de terroir for a more complex market is there. Gastronomic and complex rosés, um, oaked rosés, aged rosés, rosés with a heavier structure, maybe a bit of saignée, are also part of this niche product. Not so much of it um, and not so predominantly marketed, but it is there, um, but is very much um, in the background for those in the know. Sparkling rosé from Provence failed. Um, I can't say that I'm excited by sparkling rosé from Provence. I don't think they have the great, right grape varieties, possibly not the right climate. Um, the Champagne lifestyle has succeeded, but Provence sparkling rosé is not something for the time being that is going to get anywhere. But they have had success, big success. Market leader, benchmark style, regarded as the best. Whether or not any of these elements are true or not, um, this is the very strong marketing image that they have achieved over the past 20 years. Um, you can see trends in sales going up and trends in value of rosé. Not just the volume, but also the, the value and price of the rosé is going up. Marketing challenges. This is the big problem. If ro pale rosé is regarded as the only indicator of quality and style, um, it's very difficult to compete. Provence cannot increase volume of production. They have to understand how to market why their style is different to everybody else's. It's not just colour, but what is their taste that makes it unique. They would like to encourage diversity with other regions so that a wine list will have a rosé from Chiaretto, from Provence, from the Loire, with very clear, distinct styles. That is something they would be very keen on. They're very, very uh, strong emphasis on consistency of quality and volume, and they would like sales all year. And behind the scenes, how they're achieving the quality. Um, far more work um, in the vineyards to prune vines specifically for rosé, how to adapt to climate change, irrigation, site selection, vine training, new varieties have been introduced, clonal selection, and a Provence yeast, which will give this uniform Provence-style quality. So, in conclusion, um, whatever the rosé styles are around the world, Provence has managed to maintain for the past 20 to 30 years a very consistent image, promotion of quality and a style. And that is their success story. It's been a slow progression, um, building up the levels of marketing, not just coming in with, we make a pale, fresh rosé. It's a beautiful escalation of tradition, quality, style, building on previous images. I'm out of breath. Um, I think we've done it.
in the time allotted. Um, and I don't know if we've run out of time for questions, but if anyone does have questions, I'm here. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth. Actually, I don't see any questions. Uh, okay. I, just, I just want to, to ask you something. Uh, do you think that uh, in Italy, uh, so our region, which is Lake Garda, will be able to increase uh, um, the the, the number of bottles of rosé uh, working together and making uh, um, uh, promoting all together our rosé coming from the east on the west coast of our lake. I think so. I think all the indications are that sales are still going up. Rosé is still a growing trend. I, my big fear is that um, Chiaretto di Badalino um, tries to compete with Provence Rosé, and uh, you know, I, I just love the that acidity and cherry fruit and minerality that Chiaretto di Bardolino can have. And I think that is something, it's a lovely style, and I don't see why it shouldn't increase. Yeah, thank you. I, um, I hope so. Yeah. My, my big thing is I, I do love diversity, even within an appellation. So uh, for Provence, uh, I think that niche rosé is something that has to develop more to, to maintain a unique stand. And uh, that, I think, is quite, quite important for any region. Yeah, I agree. And I hope also that uh, in, uh, in all over Italy, we will increase the consumption of rosé because in Italy still uh, is... Uh, and uh, is around uh, six, seven percent, uh, which is very few. And so I hope that it will be increasing. I think it should do. And I think um, as soon as people start tasting the good rosé, then they realize the value of it. Um, and it's like any wine. You don't compare a two euro rosé and say it's not as good as a red and white. You have to look for comparative quality levels. Yes. Cheers. Thank you and very I'm much. I'm tasting your new rosé. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Thank you. I hope Bye. next time we will share a good uh, glass Rose. of rosé. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production and publication costs. Until next time, chin chin.